Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Big episode, episode number 200. Nowhere in my mind did I think when we started this back in January of 2020 that we would hit 200 unique guests here on the podcast. I'm super excited. And the only reason that that happens is because you're here to listen. If no one listens, this podcast doesn't happen. You know, that's kind of how it works. If the tree falls, does it make a noise? If no one's around, well, does the podcast go if no one's listening? It, it, it doesn't actually. So I'm so happy, so glad that you're here and really, really pumped for today's guest. We went out and got a, a special one here for many, many reasons uh, for episode 200. So help me welcome from Eastern Carolina University. Help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Mr. Yudon Chi. Yudon, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. And I do have to tell you that it's East Carolina University. You know, when I said it, <laughs> When I said it, I was like, mm, no, I think it's East. I, I think it's East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a, it is a big thing with us around here. Uh, they, they tend to do it even on ESPN. Uh, you know, people say Eastern, but it's uh, East Carolina University. Did, did it used to be Eastern and they shortened it or has it always been East and we've all it's been making the same mistakes? East. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. always been East. You know, as a, as a guy who went to school at Troy State University, that it's now Troy University, I respect that because every football broadcast, they still say Troy State. I, I do too, because my diploma says Troy State, but I, I need to get that right. I, we'll see if I got it right when this gets published, when you're listening right now. Did I spell it right up in the title? Did I spell it in the description right? We'll see if I got East Carolina. Thank you for that correction. Okay. Uh, here's the fun part. You're, I think, the second pirate to be on the show. And the first was? Michelle Clayton, the assistant oh, coach man. at Troy University. Actually, I didn't, I, that was an inadvertent loop back together. Yeah, Michelle and uh, her husband, Mark Davis, were on the podcast back oh, in the day. Yeah. Love them. Uh, my, my wife uh, was on the team with Michelle. Um, love Michelle. Fiery, uh, great coach. Uh, husband's an uh, incredible sprint coach. Uh, Amen. Yeah, I love them. They're great people. Great people. Yeah. Big, big supporter of Troy being my alma mater and uh, so happy that those two people lead that university. I mean, they are, I hold them to very high esteem and she is a huge pirate fan. Oh my goodness. Her Twitter feed. I, I sometimes I wonder, I'm like, who are you coaching for? Like, cause during football season, she's always retweeting and talking about the ECU pirates and stuff. I'm like, man, she's a very proud alum. That's for sure. Yeah. She's in the, she's in the hall of fame here. Rightfully so. That's awesome. Wow. Oh, that's cool. 
Well, you don't. Let's talk more about you. Michelle's had her time on the show. <laughs> let's let's get back to you here. So talk to us. Uh, you know, at some point in your life, coaching. It had to switch in your brain. Uh, assuming that you were an athlete, it went from something that was done to you. Hey, you don't run this, lift this, throw this, etc. To a flip of the switch where it had to be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, like I could be this. Like, I, I this could be a career. Like, I could actually get paid to be a coach. Where does coaching start for you? So um, after finishing running, uh, the, I, I ran here at East Carolina University. I was an intermediate hurdler and uh, led on the four by four. Um, primarily as an alternate, um, Coach Carson, Bill Carson, uh, he's the the head coach here for the was the head coach here for the men's program. I worked like a dog to satisfy that man. I was a I was just a fifty one second uh, walk on. Uh, I know he brought me on just for my GPA. I'm certain of that because uh, fifty one is typically not the starting point for a collegiate quarter miler. Uh, but I guess he saw something in me. Um, he he gave me an opportunity to walk on and. For years, you know, I went from 51 to 47 low in the open and 46 high on relay. Wow. And, you know, pretty good improvement there. But no matter what I did, I couldn't satisfy that guy. Um, so segue, um, after my four years were up, um, I, I was volunteer coaching for Chew uh, Justice. Charlie Justice was the, the head coach of the women's program. But what happened was... I just needed some money. So I was driving the van. That's literally all I was doing. He knew I needed a little money. So uh, he would take Coach Justice too, would take me on trips with him. And I didn't know he was grooming me, but he would ask me questions while I was driving. We had really interesting conversations about training theory and what would you do in this scenario? And what would you do in that scenario? And I just started rattling off what I would do. And then out of the blue, he goes, uh, you know, hey, you know, the sprints better than me. Why don't you, you know, coach the women's uh, sprints and hurdles and relays? So, you know, I started to do it and it was really just to buy time because I hadn't graduated yet. And uh, the girls started killing it. The record books just started, you know, just knocking record down after record. And, uh, you know, next thing I know, uh, Coach Carson from afar, um, he comes up to me one day, calls me over and he goes, hey, you've got it. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you've got it. Like, mm. this is what you should be doing. And I worked so hard to please that man my whole life as, as, a, as an athlete, as a collegiate athlete, to get that, uh, you know, that confidence from him. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, because I, I wanted that from him. Uh, and the whole time, I didn't realize it. It wasn't that I wasn't pleasing him. But as an athlete, he knew if he kept telling me I wasn't good enough, that's what would push my buttons. So, that's just kind of where it went all these years trying to please him. And then all of a sudden doing something that I didn't even know I wanted to do. Um, it, it caught his attention. And uh, I don't know, I guess we were doing fairly well. So, uh, you know, I, I was still kind of doing it just to pass time, but uh, after a while, you know, you just start getting good at something and you start to be known for it in your community. And uh, you know, there you have it. You were doing this to kind of, I'm going to put words in your mouth here a little bit. By time, you were finishing up your degree. You obviously had a passion for track. I assume you had a passion for track because you did it for the years that you were there at East Carolina. What was the plan? Like, what were you majoring in? What did you think? Oh, I'm going to become a business owner, a lawyer. What, what, what was the plan? I went into college with absolutely no. Initially, I wanted to be a phys ed. Hmm. My father told me, you're not going to be a phys ed teacher. You're going to go into business. 
not going to lie, didn't want to go into business, but that's what he wanted me to do. So um, this was back before they had uh, the academic support that they have now. So with the checks and balances, I had plenty of hours, but there didn't really seem to be a theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back then, as long as you had enough hours, um, they kind of, you know, if they had to just categorize it as general studies, um, before you know it, I had a million hours, but not, nothing that was, you know, going to get me, uh, you know, on, on a direct path to uh, post-collegiate success right. <laughs> in the business world. Uh, but um, uh, the, the plan was toward the end, I was, this is going to sound weird, uh, but I guess we'll segue into this later, but I found out I was really good at rapping, you know, just really good at it. Um, I started doing talent shows up and down the East Coast, and I was working at plants. Um, I was going to school part time. I was coaching for fun, but I was literally trying to put together a, a demo package because, you know, I had delusions of grandeur <laughs> that, that I was going to get into uh, the music industry uh, because we were fairly popular um, on campus. So, um, you know, that's a terrible plan. <laughs> I should add something to fall back on, but I really, you know, my wheels were spinning for, you know, four years trying to get into the, the music, to the music industry. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a terrible plan because if, if it was a terrible plan, that means we wouldn't have people, you know, some of the people I listen to for music, like they wouldn't have done it. Like their parents would have told them, no, 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 you're not going to become uh Dr. Dre. You're not going to become Madonna, whoever you might list. Those are all old names. I just realized every young person listening right now is like, good golly, do you know anybody new? Uh, name your favorite artist. If their parents told them that's a terrible idea going to business, we wouldn't have those people to to listen to. So not a, not a terrible idea. Uh, I do want to go and, and we will segue here into music. And, and rap and the impact it's had in your life. But before we get there, I'm interested. You mentioned Bill Carson. I mean, what a, a legend in our sport has done amazing things coaching. You mentioned that he, you could never please him. That he, um, I don't know that you necessarily said that he was always tough on you, but he would, he would, he was sounded like he was always on you. Never, uh, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but never good enough, always on you. Was he like that specifically to you, or was that his style with everyone? I'm just interested in his, like, did he see oh, that you uh, needed this, or was that just his style in general? He, uh, he needled us. Um, he kind of knew, um, kind of how to, you know, he knew what. The chip on your shoulder, everyone had a certain chip on their shoulder and he knew how to touch it. For me, it wasn't so much that I couldn't satisfy him. It was just no matter how good I did, it was just kind of like, uh, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Or, you know, I'd say, I'd say, hey, you know, how was that? No, it was all right. You know, it, he said three things to me most of my life, too fast, too slow, right there. Just literally everything was just this pace. And I either got out too fast, I got out too slow, I got, you know, but his coaching instruction was never biomechanics. It was never posture. It was never sync. You know, the things that we are, you know, now with the, with technology, you can see everything, you know, where your hands are finishing towards your pocket in relation to uh, your foot strike and what part of your foot you're landing on and how long is your ground contact time. Um, It was just too slow, too fast right there. And, you know, you'd ask what your time was, right, right where I wanted to be, right where I wanted to be. So he never really gave me much feedback. So I was always trying to get more because he didn't give me much. And I thought it was because I was a walk-on. I, by the way, I wasn't a walk-on for long. Uh, 
I got pretty good and ended up getting uh, uh, 50% the first time, 75% the second time. I was never a, a full scholarship athlete, but I was good enough to get invested in, but never more than too slow, too fast right there. Yeah, you kind of tripped me out when you first said you were a walk-on at 51 and a half because you mentioned you were a hurdler. And I was like, whoa, you walked on it as a 50. Like you were minimizing what a 51 second four and a hurdler is. No, and then, and then you were like 400. I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. I was like, I was really kind of like, you know, like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll tell you now, uh, the intermediate hurdles, I could have been incredible at it. He would never even let me practice it. Huh. I never practiced the event. He threw me in it and I ran it. I ran like 51, 90, yeah, yeah, yeah. 96, something like that. And, uh, but I never practiced the event. When I say never, I mean never. Like the practice was in the warm up, <laughs> taking block starts to the, <laughs> I fell down so many times. <laughs> well, as a 17, 18 year old kid going into East Carolina, and that's the style, because I'm always interested in styles, not necessarily educations. I, I, I'm a huge believer in coaching education. So, uh, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, but styles, because different styles, like, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So there's one style is not the necessarily the right style for any one program. And one style is not necessarily the right style for every person on the team. I'm interested as a 17, 18 year old kid, uh, how did that style resonate with you? Did, did you ever rebel against it? Like, Hey coach, I know you told me that I was right on time, but what was that time? Like I need more information or was it just, you just went with the flow. This is, this must be how it is. I, I grew up, uh... Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, I grew up where if you said too much, um, the answer was going to be a back end. You know, I, I really, really old school. Um, so uh, not that I got a, a lot of back ends for talking back, but um, you see enough of them, you know, <laughs> what to and how to say things. So um, you could tell me to jump off of a cliff and I would jump off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Like I am I am probably far more Indian than I am chief. Um, I do not buck up against, uh, you know, authority whatsoever. So, um, and I was getting better. So there was absolutely no reason right. for me to, to question him, um, you know, to go from 51 to 46 high, uh, 47 low. Um, and no telling what I could have run in it because I hardly ever ran the event. I trained like a quarter miler, but I ran the intermediate hurdles because there were four other gentlemen in front of me, uh, Brian Irvin, Corey Brooks. Fred Owens and William Davis Jr. They were uh, on the eighth, eighth four by four. Um, I was the alternate just in case one of them wasn't feeling as, as good. I take their place, run a 47, 46 high, mm -hmm. keep it moving. And then they pulled me off just in time to go to nationals. <laughs> what were y'all running the four by four back then? Uh, they, wow, it's on my wall right here. Three, oh, four. Oh, yeah, that's pretty salty, man. Yeah. Pretty solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you end up kind of starting to help the women's team and, and all along they're kind of, uh, I don't know, it sounds almost like they're doing a long form interview with you. <laughs> like, hey, so what would you do here? Uh, wh why would you do this? And you find yourself like actually being the coach at, at some point. Yeah, so it wasn't that many trips that I, uh, that I took with Chu. Um, probably two trips before he kind of invited me or, or you know, asked me what I'd be willing to, uh, you know, coach the women. Uh, but on those two trips, pretty lengthy trips, one was to Florida, I believe. Um, I can't remember where the other one was, but on the way back from the Florida trip, that's a long trip. Yeah. So he asked me, uh, 
you know, would I be willing to do so? And, you know, I was still in school again. I had um, a lot of hours, but none of them necessarily went anywhere. So I started uh, trying to get into uh, business education, uh, trying to finish up, uh, ended up getting an information processing uh, degree, which is the same thing without the teacher certificate. But uh, while I was nickel and diming, you know, going to studios, working at plants um, and coaching, um, you know, those two uh, to two and a half hours a day, uh, just really enjoyed engaging with the students and, you know, the student athletes and the girls just got better and better and better. Uh, I thought that I was kind of headed in that direction, uh, but um, because I didn't have my degree, you can't be a volunteer assistant um, without your degree. And I took a semester off because I had an opportunity um, to uh, travel and, and do more with music. Uh, and when I stepped away from being in school for that semester, um, I was removed from that volunteer opportunity. Mm -hmm. So there was a there was a, a lull there for a second where um, I spent more time. I, I spent the bulk of my time uh, trying to get into the music industry. Mm -hmm. Well, let's pause there and let's let's talk about that, because I know um, music and rapping, maybe specifically, uh, has had a big impact in your life. Talk to us about that. I love to learn off the track of, you know, we there's a reason why we call this connections and not coach. Right. We don't necessarily focus on coach. Cheek. We want to know about you, Don. So tell us about music and where to kind of that get, get started and and how you obviously I mean, anytime you can get on stage to do it, that's a big deal, whether you're become a huge multi-platinum or not that's success. You know, someone has come to see you perform. How did all that come about? Well, um, you know, when you're in, when you're a, a college student, there's always opportunities for fellowship and, you know, they've got talent shows and they've got, uh, you know, fashion shows, um, you know, poetry readings and the like. Um, I've always, I'm, I'm a, I'm one of four children, three sisters. So I had a lot of time to myself um, where, um, you know, I found out that I like to write. Uh, no one knew it, but I had a, a notebook and I was writing poems. And um, I didn't really realize that I was rapping, but I guess because that's around the time of Young TV raps mm. and uh, BT Rap City. And then mm -hmm. you've got on the AM channels where they play like the latest songs that are coming up, uh, coming out in New York City. And, you know, back in the old days with the tape deck, and you're trying to record uh, <laughs> new songs that no one's heard. So you're getting inspired by that. And then in your room, you know, you got your brush and you're rapping in your mirror and you're <laughs> mocking what you hear and UTFO and Big Daddy Kane and yeah. <laughs> just, you know, the things that you're hearing, Kumo D, LL Cool J. But uh, I guess you're expressing yourself. Uh, I've got three sisters. I'm by myself. No brothers. I'm kind of, they're my brothers. You know, the, the songs that I hear, mm. they're kind of who I identify with. They're saying things that kind of touch me because they're saying things that you've never heard. So it's like a fantasy, uh, but at the same time, it's your reality because, you know, you're by yourself, you're stretching your imagination, you're fooling around. I didn't know that I was kind of gravitating toward the art form, but the funny thing was I, I went to college and one day we were in the, uh, cafeteria I worked in the cafeteria to make ends meet um you know being a walk-on had to make ends meet so um I'm sorting silverware and these two guys are at the end of the conveyor belt um you know dumping the trays they started freestyling and I'd never heard anybody freestyle before so while they're rapping you know we're all you know beating on the table making beats and 
you know, I'm having a ball and all of a sudden one of them kind of makes an introduction to me with this freestyle. And I think jokingly so, not knowing that I could rap. And tell the truth, I didn't know I could rap. But they, they you know, kind of gave me an intro and I start freestyling, not missing a beat. Rapping was going, wow. like seeing everything in front of me, rapping about what I'm seeing, rapping about my friends uh, and just went on and on. And it was weird how I knew what I wanted to say before I said it. Like I'm saying something, but there's a part of my mind that knows what I want to say next, how to make it make sense, how to make it rhyme, how to put it on beat. Never knew I could do it. But then when everyone was like, oh, you know, ran over to me and just, you know, they didn't know I could rap. And but man, how long you been rapping? I lied. So, you know, I've been doing a little something. <laughs> but uh, once I got that um, rush, it was over, man. I started writing like there was no tomorrow and started freestyling all the time on the on the van trips, guys beating on the window. Um, it was just a rush. I got pretty good at it. Next thing you know, I'm doing talent shows. Um, then find out there are other guys on campus that do it. And now you have a new peer circle. So, you know, you go from a guy that has no brothers right. to now the track guys are your brothers. Now guys on campus that um, actually rap are your brothers. <laughs> and all of a sudden, just you just you find yourself being something new. You know, it was just a, a, a new way to express myself. Now, you Don, I'm, I'm known for challenging people and I know how memories work and I know how uh, hyperbole of rap music and music in general. Uh, go back to that day in the cafeteria. This sounds like a scene from a movie. Mm -hmm. Did this really happen this way? I mean, the, the, the way it's supposed to happen is, you know, they, they jokingly, you know, throw it over to you and you are supposed to just bomb and they're supposed to laugh at you and you're supposed to go back and then start writing and get better. And, you know, uh, you know, it's the old eight mile, you know, the, the rap battle scene when he gets booed off because he chokes and all that kind of stuff. Best, best but scene. but it, 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 yeah, I, I agree. The last 15 minutes of that movie is anytime I get a new TV or a new sound system, that's what I do to check my audio is play the last, <laughs> the last season, the last series of, of battles there. Cause that's awesome. Anyway, uh, didn't know eight mile. I probably should have assumed eight mile was going to come into this conversation at some point, but, uh, but did it really happen that way? They threw it over to you and you just killed it. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I was very passive. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't know who I was to go from no brothers to 22 um, and you know, when I graduated high school, I was 5'10, 135 pounds soaking wet, okay. tiny, should have been a mid distance runner, but I was very soft spoken. Uh, if I didn't know what I wanted to say, like, I didn't know what to say in that, in that group. So I hadn't really found myself. I'm more responded. I never initiated, but I became a brand new person once mm -hmm. I was, uh, kind of heralded for being able to, um, to rap, you know? Uh, but that's exactly how it happened. They okay. literally were, uh, I, and I think because they could say anything around me and I didn't talk that much, I think they didn't know that I had a lot going on mm -hmm. in my head. Like I, I probably always had things going on in my head, but I never had an opportunity to express it, but I'd already, you know, I guess I'd already done it. You know, in the mirror, you got the, the hairbrush or, you know, whatever it is. So I don't recall freestyling until that moment, though, mm -hmm. you know, and I guess that was because then it was being approved. Mm -hmm. so, so 
So it's one thing to have a passion or a want to do music, any type, whether it's rap or gospel and uh, country, doesn't matter. It's another thing to take that next step and actually try to like make it and make it a career or make money from it, et cetera, the next step. How did you decide like, okay, I'm going to try to like, what's the, what's the route to go get a, a record made to actually, you know, become the next Kumo D and some of the other guys that we mentioned. Well, um, the, the passion really came from, in order to go in that direction, it came from, again, I told you before, like, I hate to be doubted. And the two members on the track team that I rap with, uh, Corey Brooks and Mike Stancil, uh, Mike only ran for like this long and quick, but they rapped as well, but they rapped what was popular at the time, like a lot of street stuff, because mm -hmm. uh, they came from different environments than me, but they were always saying I was soft. Because I was more like uh, Biz Marquee, mm. uh, Dana Dane, uh, you know, uh, Slick Rick. Mm -hmm. Like I made, I rapped, but my stuff was always funny. Uh, it was more common sense in front of your face. It's the stuff that the average person could ident identify with. It wasn't fantasy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would call fantasy, they would call reality from where they were from. So because they were always saying that, uh, you know, that I was the weak link. Um, I put this mirror up in my room and I would freestyle forever and just, I would never wipe the spit off. It was, it was, oh man, the mirror looked nasty. <laughs> just, just, you could barely tell that, you know, you definitely couldn't tell who it was. That's how much spit was on the mirror. They were like, oh, wipe that off. And uh, I said, no, that's my hard work. But what happened was trying to please them uh, to fit into that group. I got better at rapping about what I don't even know about other than, you know, from music, but I got better at rapping about street stuff and, you know, battle rapping, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and this was a time where, you know, battle rap and, and the cypher and things like that, those are much more popular now. Like there's TV shows around them, movies, of course, things like that. It was much more, uh, I don't necessarily want to call it underground back then, but it was much more, it was much more of like a street fight where it happened in the streets, happened in the dorm rooms. Uh, no one made a big fanfare about it except for in that group where it was uh, where the big fanfare was the records, the CDs and things like that. Now it's become like like it's its own thing. Like I said, it has its own TV shows. There's, you know, um, mixtapes used to be sold out of the back of cars. Now they're actually, you know, you can download battles and things like that. Uh, but it's interesting to me, the dichotomy of the difference in styles of, you know, um, th things that I grew up on. And, you know, I'm the most fake person, meaning I grew up, you know, small Alabama you know, uh, trailer park type stuff. Uh, but all I listened to me and my brother, uh, <laughs> and I know we're going to end up talking about this, me and my brother about this, this uh, podcast. Uh, so we had all of our CDs were NWA, Ice T body count. I remember when we first got the body count CD, man, it, we played it over and over and over in front of his mom. And <laughs> she's just like, what in the world? Mother would kill me if I played uh, that exactly. Yeah, I look back at it now and I'm like, what were we thinking? I cannot believe we didn't just hide that and, and move on. Uh, two Live Crew, we were huge uh, Luke fans, things like that. Uh, and then you had this whole other side that you mentioned, you know, Bismarck Keys, I think of uh, Orange Juice Jones, those kind of guys. And uh, I don't want to call it softer, it was just a different type of artistry. And that's where your, your gear was and where you were moving towards. And I wasn't even. So I was rapping from my heart, you know, I was rapping what I knew. Uh, but then, like I said, my, my boys just telling me that I was the weak link because we tried to have a group, but they talked about it directly. I always talked about it indirectly because I didn't feel comfortable. So 
mm-hmm. always had an underlying uh, touch of what they were touching, but I always kind of was an outlier to uh, to where they wanted the song to go. But then uh, they kept pushing my buttons. And before you know it, uh, I just became extremely aggressive, uh, like Onyx. Remember Onyx? Of course. I just, you know, next thing you know, I got a bald head and, you know, I'm <laughs> rapping with my shirt off and I'm sliding across stage on my knees and still rapping. And I'm getting fanfare like I'm a star when we uh, open up for like we've opened up for, you know, heck, we opened up for Jay-Z one time wow. but uh, when he was first coming out. But um, I was just trying so hard to make it in in the industry as to what was popular i was never true to myself and to tell Mm -hmm. the truth i love the performance but afterwards i didn't want to hang uh with the group as as much you know like what was going on around us wasn't my thing i loved performing but it was a performance it wasn't who i was Mm -hmm. uh so you know i guess we can get to it later but you know now you know other people rap about the street my street is that oval out there so Mm -hmm. i rap about track i rap about christ i rap about uh my life and the things that i'm in pursuit of i try to make people feel good about themselves i don't want to make music that's fantasy and you know i want to make reality music and if there is any fantasy it needs to be of what i can be um that's wholesome and has some esteem to it you know i want to be a light uh i want to be a facilitator of truth um real truth you know where we can lean on one another where we can uh where there's room for growth, where there's room to admit that you don't have it all together, but you want to have it all together. You know, that's yeah. where I am now. So you're right. And let's pause there because I do want to come back because we mentioned a ton of artists that uh, I used, we used to listen, I used to listen to necessarily, um, but there are some new artists in, that's in that same vein you spoke to. We'll, we'll, we'll pick that up here in a second. Let's bring it back to the track for a second. How is this playing out with, uh, you start helping out, the women start improving there at ECU, East Carolina University. See, I've got it now. Uh, I got it down. Uh, where did it go from there in regards to a full-time position, a graduate assistance program? What, what, where was the next step there? So uh, this is amazing. This, this testimony, and it's, it's really happened. Uh, so um, after I was told that because I took a semester off that I couldn't volunteer coach, right. I traveled for a while. I went to Kentucky uh, for six months, uh, tried to get a, a demo going there. Um, then I went to Atlanta for six months with my friend Fred Owens, uh, who's on the track team with us as the second leg on the relay. Um, he actually was our manager for a little while, but I went to Atlanta to uh, try to do something in music there. Then I went to New York for six months. While I was in New York, I got a just extreme distaste for music because of uh, what was around me. It just, you know, I, I got um, I got saved. Um, I gave my life to Christ in uh, just prior to 2000. And while I was in New York, um, I just decided that I wasn't going to, um, you know, do do music anymore. So I decided to uh, come back uh, to Greenville. Um, I was in Brooklyn decided to come back to Greenville and uh, I started to uh, coach high school, coach one year at Conley, D.H. Conley. Um, and that was under Carlton Floyd and then a uh, volunteer assistant for uh, six years with Dennis Gibson um, at J.H. Uh, Rose. And one day I was, so I'm working at a plant, DSM Pharmaceuticals. One day I'm on the back window and this, you know, this is my testimony. I'm on the back window. We're on break. 
and I'm walking back and forth, uh, looking out the, the back window and I'm looking up at the sky and I just start crying. And I just say, God, like all I've ever wanted to do was coach. And mm -hmm. I'm volunteering at J.H. Rose, but DSM Pharmaceuticals, I'm working 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the only day you have off is Sunday. Um, I wasn't able to get to track practice in time for anything other than, uh, you know, a few drills and like maybe a top off, just more, more or less mobility and uh, some general uh, fitness work because they had done the bulk of their work. And I didn't feel like I was being impactful. And mind you, I, I want to be a track coach. So I'm looking out the window and I start bawling, Mike. Hmm. I was like, like literally, like, I don't know, like, stop it. All I want to do is coach. And um, somewhere in my prayer, I said, God, um, wherever I'm in the way, just let me know. And right there, I just kind of, something broke. I knew right there when I said, wherever I'm in the way, just let me know close out the prayer. I thank you for the time with him. I went home. And do you know that that day when I went home, my phone rang and it was ECU asking me that I want to be uh, assistant over the sprint turtles and relays. So I literally asked God, I said, all I want to do is, you know, be a coach. I'm just asking you, can I get off an hour early? <laughs> I'm like, God, you're the author of time. <laughs> I literally say, um, all I want to do is get off an hour early so I can coach, you know, high school as an assistant. I'm not even getting paid for it. I'm talking to him like this, like, what's wrong with him? And God had one better. That day, I come home. No idea there's even a job available. And uh, Coach Overton called me and says, hey, you don't, you, you, you know, there's a job open. Would you like to interview for it? So now, well, mind what, you. What, what did that feel like? I mean, you just had this extremely cathartic experience. Mm -hmm. You get home, pick up the phone. Hey, you Don, there's a position. Would you? I mean, because I mean, the dots connect right there immediately. Right. I, I mean, how did that make you feel? I, I'd be jobbed. I wouldn't know how to answer. I literally, and mind you, this wasn't in the, the, the cell phone era. This is regular phone. And I pull the phone away from my ear and I look up and I go, thank you. God. <laughs> so, you know, he goes on, he starts talking about, uh, you know, um, a little bit of my background and try, I guess trying to set me up to uh, give me an idea of how the process is going to go. And then he goes, well, what was your major in? And I said, well, I said, I, I didn't finish. I said, I still have a semester go, to go because I, I got offered three record deals um, that we turned down in that, you know, that hiatus, that period. I told you while I was in pursuit. Um, I always thought we were going to get another one in pursuit of that. It was like, oh, I always I can go back to school and finish. Then I started making really good money in the plants. So I just thought, you know, I'll go back and finish school, you know, when I need to. Mm -hmm. So I was making really good money at, uh, in pharmaceuticals. Well, he goes, um, you don't, uh, unfortunately, if you don't have your degree, I can't offer you the opportunity to get the, uh, the interview. Right. And right there, um, just understanding that I was in my way. Remember when I said, God, wherever I'm in my way, let me know. So I, I pull, instead of being heartbroken, I pull the heart, I pull the phone away. And from my heart, I go, thank you, God. I know where I'm in the way. I said, I'll go back and I'll finish. So I got back on the phone with Coach O and I said, hey, I thank you for just considering me. At least it lets me know my name's still out there. Um, I will take care of business and, uh, you know, we'll see uh, what the future holds. Call my wife. Uh, and my wife says, you know, why don't you see if you can work for free and if they can grandfather you in? after you uh, finish your degree. So I call him back. Coach Overton goes, you know what? Just, just uh, you know, 
let's go ahead and have a phone interview and just see where it goes from there. And I kill the phone interview, just kill it. Um, and then, you know, obviously there were a number of candidates that probably killed it as well. But uh, because I had a background in team ministry, because I had a background in already having been uh, a volunteer assistant at ECU, as well as um, being a developmental coach in the area of volunteering high school, um, there's just three caveats there where I am what I need to be here. You know, we are stewards over young adults that are trying to find their way to uh you know, walk, finding their individual truth, like track and field is just this great Petri dish where you can experiment and find out who you want to be in life once track is over. So um, uh, not only did I get the, get the first, they interviewed me three times. Um, not only did Coach Kraft give me the job, the head coach, who's still the head coach here now, not only did he give me the job, uh, they paid for me to finish my. Oh, Wow. So they, 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 uh, and I didn't have to sit out. They, they let me get my hands dirty right away because oh, I covered great. what they needed. I just, I'd been a teen mentor just for a long time um, in my tenure of volunteering and the likes and in teen ministry. And I ended up being exactly what Coach Kraft wanted because Co with Coach Kraft, it's about the experience. It's about uh, growing. Um, it is about track and field, but it's, it's about family and learning how to cooperate and, and, and working together. So I just ended up being the type of person that he needed. I'm thinking that at the end of the interview, you know, I've got this stack of my notes and all the books that I read and the hurdlers Bible and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the periodization books that I'm reading. And he doesn't even get to that part of the interview. Mm -hmm. He's like, um, you know, oh, anybody can coach. So that's X's and O's. I needed to know what your life philosophies were, what you, you know, what do you believe as a person? Um, and here I am 15 years later. <laughs> Man, that, that's funny. We're, uh, we're hiring right now as well. And we talk about the same things. We talk about culture and fit before we talk about like skill set. Like we, we can teach what we need to do here, but I can't teach you to be able to fit in and, and have our same kind of morals and values that we have here. And it sounds like what coach Kraft was like, it's like, yeah, yeah, the X's and O's man. Uh, we can teach that and, and you can learn that, but culturally that that's gotta be on point first and foremost. And, and culturally it started from, I, I got my coaching style from my father. So uh, everybody calls my dad cheap. Any room he goes to where there are a number of people, you're going to hear everybody go cheek, 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 cheek. So I am just such a fan of my last name. Uh, you know, greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth and still walking the face of the earth is my daddy. So I'll call him Pop. But his coaching style, like even though we, now we had humble beginnings, I was raised with outhouse, uh, well water, grow your own food. My grandparents uh, did quite a bit of uh, raising me because my mom had us at uh, 16, 17, 19, and 21. You know, I had us really early. Mm. So because she had a, such an early age, my, I spent so much time with my grandparents. Um, that's where the yes, sir, no, mm -hmm. sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am came, ma came from. But um, once we got to the structure of, uh, you know, Little League sports, my dad was our coach. And uh, I watched my dad. He's a policeman. I watched him take us from, uh, you know, once he came back from the Army, uh, he took us to low-income uh, apartment living to townhouse living, to, you know, work, working in a, uh, um, 
I mean, living in a really amazing uh, community where we were definitely the minority. But my dad, uh, you know, because I was the minority, he wanted to make sure that he was, you know, part of the coaching staff. But even though we grew in the, you know, financially and I was able to be around a more diverse uh, community, he still had me play sports with the teams that were from uh, kind of the lower income housing. So a lot of those households, they didn't have fathers. So my dad, I watched him as a coach be more of a father figure mm-hmm. to people who didn't have a father figure, who people were going to go home to maybe no food, uh, no lights, maybe uh, just so watching my dad take his truck back when you could do this and just go through the community and people jump in the back of your truck to take him to practice mm-hmm. and him just being so nice to everybody and never uh, being a harsh word to anyone. But that's where my coaching style came from. And I didn't realize it was because of where they came from. But, you know, my whole life, I see my dad. By the time we get home, my my dinner's dried up and, Mm. you know, cold. And I'm eating chicken at a darn near chip of my cousin (laughs) because your mom trying to keep it warm. But that's where my coaching style came from. So nurturing. Mm. Uh, And uh, I think that's what Coach Kraft needed was I think at the time there was no African-American representation in the coaching staff. But, you know, some of the uh, people on the team needed someone they could identify with. And some of the people on the team came from uh, situations where they needed someone that they could lean on a little bit. Um, and, and that's who I am, Mike. I mean, we've, we've had enough conversations to, you know, where I'm far more an encouraging soul uh, than anything else. That happens to know a whole heck of a lot about track and field. <laughs> couple of topics there that you brought up that I'd like to to approach with you. I think there's some uh, some value. You know, the two reasons we started the podcast, one was to uplift and honor uh, the guest journey uh, in this great profession. But uh, and then also as we started gaining more listeners and, you know, quite, quite humbling, uh, it was like, well, how much value can we bring to those who choose to listen? So there's a couple of topics you brought there. Um um that I'd like to to get your opinions on and thoughts here. One was you talked about that they said you had to have a degree before they could hire you. And, and I love how they worked with you to get that. Like that's a, that to me is a real testament to the school and the athletic department of like, oh yeah, we're here to raise up student athletes. Like, so we're going to help this student athlete all the way through, like to, to get their degrees. So I love that, that partnership and not just, yeah, go get on your own and then come back to us. So that was really, uh, I think I said a lot about, about the athletic department and the coaching staff uh, that was there. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, there is no, I know there is a coaching degree, some school I know how you can get an undergrad in coaching and things like that, but there's no traditional coaching degree. Like there is a biology degree, a teacher's degree, uh, pre-law, et cetera. So the degree that you have, and we've seen success, not only technically, but culturally as well from men and women who have a variety of degrees, art degrees, lawyer degrees, architect. I mean, Vince Anderson was an architect for crying out loud. Uh, so there's a lot of backgrounds there that can create successful track coaches. What is your thought on that track coaches, uh, specifically on the college level, have to have a degree to actually coach, to, to full-time coach, not just volunteer? Uh, is it that important? Finish. What's it say? You have to finish what you start. You cannot say that you're a collegiate you know, track coach and then you're you don't finish what you start, but then I have to come on board and coach people to finish what they start. So I mm. think that it's a, it's just a disgrace to the profession uh, not to uh, show um, that you can finish. 
So I appreciate, uh, now they did give me a timeline. I had to finish uh, in a certain time. It wasn't like they just said, oh, get your degree when you want. <laughs> uh, they paid They paid me right off gate. Um, but I did have to finish the 16 hours within, um, I think I finished it in uh, three semesters. Um, um, I got one B, the rest A's, you know, when you when you put some of this back to the wall and say, you know, you've got to graduate in a certain period of time, guess what? It all of a sudden really, really matters um, because, you know, <laughs> all I've ever wanted to be a coach. But how can I tell, you know, uh, the athletes that I coach to finish what they start and for collegiate uh, being a student to be more important if I myself didn't mm. even finish? You know, I, I think that's... Uh, that's about as two-faced as you could be, you know? So the last thing I want to be is, is someone that doesn't uh, walk in what I say I believe. So you, you got to finish what you start. So it sounds like it's more symbolic and that sometimes you can take that negatively. Some symbols are very important in our lives. If you think about the things that we do in our lives from playing games and things like that to all the way to our faith, symbols are extremely important. So that when I say it sounds like it's a symbolic thing, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's like, hey, see, I, I, I did it. And therefore, I have, um, I'm going to call it authority over you, student athlete, to help you get it as well. And if I didn't get it, well, then how can I ever chirp at you for not taking your studies right? I, I didn't even get my degree for crying out loud. Does that sound? It's, it's definitely that. And it's also um, being that I had this side journey, um, it, it's my testimony. And it, it, I'm, a, I'm allowed to now have conversations that I know what it's like. You know, I, I know what you're going through. Um before, if, if I had stated that and never finished, I don't know what it's like. I don't know, you know, mm. what it, you know, that last uh, semester is really hard. There's some really long papers. Um, there's a lot of pressure uh, to finish um, once you get in that uh, discipline. Because prior to, like I said, everything was all over the place. I was taking all kinds of hours and my schedule, I wasn't even, I'll be honest, I wasn't even making my schedule. Uh, my schedule was being made for me. I didn't know that I wasn't on track, but this was before they had those checks and balances. Um, they just, back then, they just made sure you were eligible. So right. hmm. I was a long time ago. Like, yeah, 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 it's way different now. <laughs> yeah, that NCAA is definitely not going to let that happen anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, no more just being in college and use you up for your four years and you get a degree in tiddlywinks oh well that that's your problem now yeah yeah it's right. definitely different for the for the better i think it's different amen, amen uh something else you brought up excuse me is you talked about um being an african-american man on the coaching staff of a team that was um i'm going to assume primarily african-american at least in the sprints and hurdles side that you were working at and uh I, i'm pretty sure i don't ever i actually don't know if i've ever seen the stats but i'm going to assume just from casual observation of track meets and stuff that uh there are a lot of african-americans who run track and field uh but on our coaching staffs i, I, I don't want to say coaching staffs in our coaching body we don't have maybe a commiserate amount of african-american coaches uh the same can be said for females as well but since you're not female and i'm not female we're not going to have that part that conversation. I'll have that with the next female guest one day. Uh, and we have had that here in the past, that conversation as well. Um, uh, why is that important? I believe in this importance, but I want to hear from you. Why is that important in your mind? Of uh, you, you talked about representation. I think, you know, seeing things is important, seeing, th seeing a, a successful uh, person who looks
looks like me being a coach, being a member of the of the uh, society, like, oh, well, then then I can be that as well. Like it's, you know, it's an example for them. Talk to me about how important that's been in your career uh, as being that example and having other examples around you, you know, your, your, um, uh, your friendship group and other coaches such as that. I'd say one thing that it that it does is there's no excuses. You know, a lot of times if you don't have representation, sometimes you just um, as a student athlete, you can kind of, how should I say, make an excuse. Like if you don't if you don't have the leadership that you can identify with, all of a sudden you can make excuses that you don't have leadership that you can identify with. So all of a sudden you start to make a crutch of where you come from or you make a crutch of what you've been through and it just turns into um, a sob story. Um, but um, not that all of us come from that, but being that, you know, I've come from uh, uh, some, some, you know, difficult situations that I can identify with. I think for us, it was just that Coach Kraft came from North Dakota. You know, he, he hadn't been uh, around some of the stories and I don't think he quite knew how to step around maybe some conversations that might might be taboo. Um, if if someone comes from nothing, but you don't know that they come from nothing, uh, you might you might uh, say something that they can't can't quite uh, identify with. Um, but. I guess because I come from that culture, I know what's taboo. I know what I can engage in. I know uh, what they might try to use as an excuse. Um, so I think with me, uh, I was just able to fit um, a role that he couldn't mm -hmm. um, because there was a little bit of, uh, I guess, kickback, I guess the word, um, of resistance. Mm -hmm. I think there were athletes that just kind of resisted some areas where he was naive in. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and vice versa. I mean, I think, you know, it's maybe not necessarily um, always feasible to have every representation, but if I think when you are working towards that uh, and have an understanding and grace for each other as well. Uh, but I think, again, I just, I really do think the, the the topic of the representation is what's important and when i look at you know uh, uh convention you know i look around and i go man there are a lot of people being coached by these people that don't look like these people um right. it just makes me wonder how uh how do we get more african-american men and women to coach how do we get more women to coach because i think we'll be better off for it uh as, as a coaching body for for that well, um, I believe that within the community, the way that uh, within my circle, we always edify each other. Um, I have an incredible circle, but the three gentlemen that I speak to all the time, actually four, um, but three of them African-American. But Paul Zaleski, the non-African-American, is my best friend in the world. He's the jumps coach at Virginia Tech. But he and I have the hard conversations where we identify from both uh, ends of the spectrum. But then those that uh, walk what I walk, uh, Kenny, Anderson, Kenny Anderson from Central Missouri, uh, Milton Williams and Rohan Grant are uh, high school and club, club coaches mm -hmm. up in PA. But within the community of African-American coaches, we just have to make sure that we're edifying each other and building each other up and preparing each other for the next step and not like mine, 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 and mm. me, my four, no more. But if we can just continue to, you know, I, I talked to Sammy Dabbs. Uh, mm. I've got the uh, 
the fortune of, I can call Coach Fry right now and he would pick up like immediately, uh, Coach George Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you, we just have to make sure that there's a line of communication where within that community, and it is there, where we're building one another up and sharing ideas and uh, just sharpening our swords. In doing so, uh, it is growing. You know, it might not be growing as fast as some people want, but you know, Chucky's out there killing it at San Jose State. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my dog. Like he's he's a beast, and he's not making any excuses to getting the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, so we we just have to. We've got to do our homework. We can't. You know, we don't want a a handout. We right. don't mind a, a hand up, right. but at the same time, uh, we have to help each other too. You know, we can't just wait for a community that doesn't know us as well to, to help us, you know, that community is already functioning. So we need to build up within. You mentioned really some amazing people right there. And I have to give a special shout outs to a few of them. Uh, Kenny Anderson, uh, these are all, uh, this is all, this is all, uh, uh, self-effacing self, uh, self It's all for me to make these, uh, shout outs here. Kenny Anderson, cause he was a Gill podcast alum. He, he's amazing. I love him. Uh, you mentioned Chuck Ryan, Charles Ryan. He, he's been on the podcast, love him. And then one of my personal top 10 episodes ever is Mr. George Williams, uh, for many, many reasons. First of all, he's just a freaking legend. <laughs> so uh, that alone made it awesome. But he is, uh, at least for the track world, the originator, at least credited uh, as the originator of, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. Sure. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, he brings that up because of coaching and judgment of others, athletes and things like that. But it's funny, literally just this weekend, I was using that line from George to my children about judgment. You know, they were talking about a kid in their class and I was like, Hey, let me tell you what uh, a young man named George Williams tells me. And we talked about it and they're like, what's that mean? And I was like, you don't know what's going on in this person's life. You don't know what's happening at home, mom, dad, brother, sister, etc. personal life. I was like, so you can't judge them. Just like when you get upset, if someone were from the outside, don't know why you're upset and they just cast judgment on you. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. They're not in the huddle. They don't know the play. So uh, I'm just forever indebted to my friendship with George and uh, and the wisdom that he he gave us and gives us with, uh, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play. So if you've not listened, first of all, to any of those episodes, but if you've not listened to George, uh, whatever app you're using right now, you've got to go just Google uh, or search George Williams' name uh, in that podcast app for this uh, podcast here. And you'll, you'll be better for it. He's just, uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and has uh, had a lot of experiences that we should all uh, learn from. So I'm so glad you said George, because yes, I love sir. that man. I love him. <laughs> uh, there's, there's one, there's two more yeah, people, you absolutely. Know, quite a bit, not as often as of late, but uh, Jeff McCauley has been mm-hmm. uh, essential in my growth and James Daniels, uh, um, who's now uh, coaching, you know, uh, his own club, but he's been at A&T, he's been at Hampton, mm-hmm. he's been at South Carolina, but uh, there's just so many people. In, and I understand that Jeff McCauley um, was, uh, is an African-American, but uh, regardless, uh, we have to make sure that we have people that we can sharpen our sword with and that are pouring into us. And uh, that's one thing that I love about Jeff is uh, whenever we get on the phone, he doesn't want to talk about track anymore. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you got all that stuff. He, he wants to make sure that I'm good. And uh, if I may, um, that's what your show does. Um, track and field coaches are very underappreciated for what we do, the long hours. Um, watching from afar sometimes and just maybe just 
real quick, looking at a tweet of yours, maybe not necessarily liking it, but seeing on the timeline, just those reminders, you know, that I love track and field coaches, mm-hmm. you know, just sometimes that's just enough to get through a day. You know, you're just, you're vegging out in between, you know, sessions and you're thumbing through and you're looking at something just to take your mind off of it. And bam, there you are paying homage to people that have very challenging lives and are underappreciated. And, you know, it's just such an, a competitive uh, environment and people are always pulling on us. Mm-hmm. Um, you give us a, 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 a more than just a shot glass of refreshment. And I appreciate <laughs> you for that. Yeah. Well, you deserve it. I, 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 you know, I did the job for 10 years and you know, I coached for 10 years and and did, hit a lot of the goals that I wanted to get to mainly wanted to coach in the SEC and I did it. And I'm so glad uh, that I did it. And I wish that I didn't have to have gone through that experience to have where I am today, meaning I wish I could just have empathy for track coaches, regardless if I coached or not. Uh, but it's a lot of because I went through the experiences that I'm, you know, now that I'm, you know, older and wiser and I'm off off the uh, track, so to speak, you know, I'm not coaching. Uh, Like I look back and I'm just like, Oh man, like these guys and gals that are doing this, you're doing it for little to no money. We sometimes, I don't want to say we shoot ourselves in our own foot, but you know, I push back on conversations uh, when people talk about, well, you know, you shouldn't do it for the money. Don't do it for the money. And we make this evil of money. And it's like, no, no, no. First of all, you're giving value to young people that is immeasurable. uh, And you have families to support and hobbies and passions and charities and all these other things that you want to do. You should be making uh, not just a livable wage, but you should be making a wage. Um, I I don't necessarily get into the comparison of, oh, well, look how many kids we coach compared to a basketball coach and and all those kind of things. So there's economics involved in it. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, my passion for coaches is because of the people that choose to be coaches. It's the people that do it. It's not the the title of coach and the activity of coaching. It's the people and the love and, and uh, power and empathy that they give to their young people, whether it's 14 to 18 year olds or 18 to 22 year olds, or even the pro coaches. I mean, they are pouring into others to make them just a little bit better as far as speed or jumping or throwing, but a lot better as people in society. Because 99.9% of every kid you coach, they ain't going on to do track. They're going on to be store owners. They're going on to be lawyers. They're going on to be teachers. Most importantly, they're going on to be moms and dads. Right. That is the most important thing that the person who chooses to be a track coach does in this society. That's what makes society better is what you pour into these young people. Uh, that was a great, you got me on a good a segue on that one. I mean, let's get back to you, you Don Dagan. That was, that was tricky. That was tricky. Uh, the other thing that you brought up there that I'd like to explore a little bit, you talked about when we were talking about culture. You said you got your culture from your dad, from Pops. Mm-hmm. Did you realize as you were growing up, like I, I see this, um, you know, this you, you painted like a really good picture there. Shocker, Mr. Writer, uh, music person, you painted a good picture with words uh, of, you know, dad, you know, helping the kid who says he doesn't have dinner tonight. Yeah, okay, here, here's five bucks. Go, go, you know. Um, did you realize as you were growing up and uh, and observing that, probably participating in it in some form or fashion, because you were, you know, you were the you were the son, so you're with dad. Did you realize the impact that that was making on you? Did you kind of feel it coming into your soul, or was it more of like, ah, it's just what dad does. I do my thing over here. No, I wanted I wanted to be my dad. I didn't want to be a policeman, but my dad was so appreciated. Um, uh, he, our house was like a congregation of, you know, there there were always men coming through. Uh, whether we're playing cards, whether watching football games, uh, weekends were uh, for 
I would call it edifying again, uh, um, where people would come by and just, you know, have a drink, hang out with my dad and talk about whatever they were talking about. But seeing how much, you know, he didn't let me, you know, be in the room uh, because, you know, they were doing grown folk things. I guess they were smoking and drinking. <laughs> but um, to hear just the, the, the clamor, just they were having fun and you hear the cards smacking the table and what, you know, just having so much fun and everyone just adored my dad. And I wanted to be that. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I was kind of shy, but I loved the way it was appreciated. And my dad hardly drank, um, but he made an environment for other people to enjoy themselves. Um, so that's the same thing that he did within sport. He just made everybody feel like they mattered. And if you made a mistake, it was like, hey, you made a mistake. Be right. I, I remember I crashed his, I didn't crash his car, I backed this car into a fence post, brand new car. And uh, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. And he goes, son, it's a car. And he goes, I've only got one son. I'm just glad you're okay. So it, he's, he was never, my dad's never phased. Hmm. He's just cool hand Luke in the, in the center of every bit of calamity. And he's always making you feel good about being you. First and foremost, he cares mm -hmm. more about you than he does himself. Go figure, he's a cop, mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of what you do. You, you put your own life on the line for the sake of others. So I didn't know what I wanted to do with that, but I knew my dad was that. And I felt that I could be that in the coaching world. But he told me, you know, he didn't want me to be a coach because I wasn't going to make any money. Uh, funny thing, I ended up being a coach. And <laughs> I won't say I'm not making any money, but I'm pretty, pretty sure I probably could have made more than money. <laughs> <laughs> more money doing something else yeah. but uh i'm as happy as a pig in slop i love this yeah this is what i do this is who i am so take us back to ecu you're coaching you're full-time now you got a degree you you uh you you crossed that finish line and showed that if you could do it well dadgummit all my student athletes can do it too uh you persevered i love that that story for you what were you doing coaching wise you know and what i mean by that is uh like coaching education you obviously have some really brilliant people right there on your staff that, that coached you etc uh to learn from you, you mentioned uh, a bunch of books and stuff that you were reading as well uh any coaching education it sounds like a lot of informal which is I don't mean that in a negative way. That's extremely important. Any formal education like uh, USATF level, uh, level ones, yes. level twos, things like that. So I, I did level one. And then from there, um, there was a, a bit of a freeze on us uh, uh, going to the conventions. Um, so instead of going to the conventions, I started realizing that the, the money that we, that we were able to utilize to go to the conventions I was able to um, go and start going on trips um, and, and hanging out with, uh, uh, gosh, what was Trent Tavis Friday's coach name? Uh, oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. I'm having a brain fart right now. But I started just reaching out to coaches, uh, Valentino Sykes. Um, but um, I started doing more of um, doing one-on-ones and instead of going to conventions and mm. seminars as much, when you go to the conventions, you sit down um, at, at the seminars and you listen to Ernie Clark and you listen to Adrian, you listen to, you know, Althea and you, you know, there's so many great minds that you uh, get to um, hear what they have to say in that platform, but one-on-ones uh, calling Sammy Dabbs and uh, getting on the phone and uh, Karim uh, um, at, at South Carolina 
Um, there's just so many coaches. If you reach out to them, you'd be surprised at um, what they're willing to share. So there are things that you can quantify by a, a certification, but the hours of time that I spent on the phone with Jeff McCauley and James Daniels and Ernie Clark and uh, Mark Mangiacotti and mm. Keba Tolbert and Curtis Taylor, like mm. they don't mind you calling them. They don't. Carol, uh, we're at a at the convention one time and we're on the uh, treadmill and she goes, uh, Cheek, I like how you do it over there. Your girls are tough. And then, you know, she starts, uh, this is back, uh, I think it was 2013. We had Aisha Goggins, she's like 51-4. We had uh, Tania Minkins and Tyshonda Hawkins. They were like 23-2. You know, we had a 334 indoor 4x4 at the time. And uh, we were doing pretty good in our our conference. And, you know, having fun, uh, just talking to Carol on the treadmill. And she goes, I tell you what, if you want to come to UCF, she's at UCF at the time. And she goes, you better be ready to bound into some sprints and sprint into some bounds because that's what we're doing. So we're going to jump off of stuff. We're going to jump on stuff. We're going to throw stuff. And, you know, sprinting is a violent sport. And, you know, I'm sitting here and she's just throwing gems on me from, a, a mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're figurative, you know, in the sense of because our conversation is is really just we're having a conversation but she's using those explosive moments and talking about what they do for you. You know, we're just having an organic conversation, but the peer circle is just so connected, man. Like, I don't, I don't know if people understand that that's where we find ourselves in this, in this uh, peer circle and, and none of them are afraid to share. You just got to be willing enough to ask. Yeah. I am amazed. And, you know, I experienced that during my career and I've told the story many times about my conversations with Boosh X Nader and, you know, Mm. and he would talk to me. (laughs) I mean, it was just like, I was nobody. And I was like, and he would have like every question I would ask, he would have a response for never, uh, never dissed and dismissed me at all. And so, um, and I've, and I've noticed there, you know, I love your unbridled enthusiasm that, you know, no one has a problem with it. Well, that's not true. Uh, cause there are people who have air quotes here secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I love when those people are like that too, cause it makes me know not to, to listen to them coaching wise, like X's nose wise. It's like, Oh, you think they're secrets. Cool. Uh, <laughs> this is okay. a pretty open, uh, profession of coaching as far as like what we do to the body to help it run fast, jump far. Uh, we can get those again, secrets from someone else. <laughs> right. Well, I, I would say that, um, okay. I, I know that I'm a gentleman in the sport. Whenever I go to attract me, I make sure I make my rounds and, and I shake hands and I look in eyes and I ask how's the family doing of those whose families I know, but I think because I've presented myself as, as a brother in the profession, um, I've met very little resistance. If I have any problem, uh, Dio, David Oliver, we were just at um, Virginia Tech, and he has no problem opening up the floodgates of mm-hmm. com- conversation and exchange and giving me real meaty uh, conversation. Uh, there are people who some people would say that they can't get anything out of them, and I have. And I'm not, you know, that doesn't make me special, but I think it's because I've never approached them in a way of, I, I never, I make myself a very little reputation in everything that I do. And it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. I really know what I'm doing, like, but I love seeing how other people do it. And because I'm so curious mm-hmm. and at the same time, I, I approach uh, like Lennox when I, when I run into Lennox, I, you know, we probably talk about Christ's first or we talk about 
our culture and what's happening in our lives first. And then somewhere along the lines, drop a nugget, he'll drop you a nugget or two, but I just think it's how you approach people. But mm-hmm. if you just come immediately with your hand out, you know, come on, like, what are we here for? We're, if we're here to make people feel better about themselves, shouldn't we approach the people that make people feel better about themselves in the same way? Right. Like, shouldn't I approach uh, Chuck? Chuck's not going to give you, you know, he's going to give you a cliff note version, but if you take your time and make sure, you know, make sure he knows who you are within the body, he's going to give you something, Mm -hmm. you know, but you, you better be ready to first talk about politics. You better be ready (laughs) first, you know, talk about everything other, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I just think it's how you approach people. Excellent points there. And I think a lot of coaches are free to share because they also realize that I can give you the, the, the recipe, but how you conduct that recipe is half the battle as well. So how you treat your athletes, how you motivate them, uh, those kind of things are as important <laughs> uh, than the workout itself. You know, it's a it's the person that can do the the motivation side of it and the recipe side of it together. Those are the Mike Holloways and <laughs> you know Edric Floreals and uh, Jerry Baltuses. You know that are out there. Uh, Carol Smith, she's one of those as well. That you know they, they've got both sides of it, and that's why on an annual basis they're if they're not winning the stinking title they're pushing <laughs> for that title yeah i'm i'm certain that if you uh come through carol's program when you get interviewed you're going to win the interview hmm. i mean you talk about focus and just you know taking advantage of the moment um i've you know never been coached by her obviously but every time i'm around her she's just so intense i could only imagine if i was one of her athletes you know I dare you come against me. You know what I mean? I just, I love, I love, she's, yeah, she's one of my favorites. You know, there's a I lot do. of people favorite for different reasons, but uh, Tim Hall, uh, just mm-hmm. when, when we were, when we had Aisha, he came up to me and said, if you ever need help with her, you know, you just give me a call. And I, I just say that just, I'm not name dropping to say that I know these people I'm saying I'm indebted to them because there's so many things that at, at a moment's notice, I could give them a call and they don't mind. You know, if you if anyone feels like they're uh, not uh, getting a need met, be careful before you say that, because it might be how you're asking for the need to be met. You Mm -hmm. know, just approach people like a human being and you'd be surprised. Uh, Like you said, Boo, Boo does not mind giving you the keys to the kingdom. You know, because he wants the profession to be everything that it should be, everything that you uh, paint the picture of it being it is that and more and booze do, exhausting himself he's you talk about uh you know fruit his tree oh my gosh the harvest that is going to be able to be uh reaped oh my goodness he's amazing gosh i love boo. who doesn't exactly still our number one most listened to podcast episode boo that's the one i tell people i was like look before every season you need to listen to that one because he really pours into and talks about the profession of coaching not only you know his own background is is quite amazing uh mm-hmm. but when he starts talking about you know what you're doing as you go into the profession of coaching track and field i think it's just spot on for all of our our coaches out there to to hear and remind themselves and how to conduct themselves what to conduct themselves about what's important uh, as it relates to the profession so uh so that's my my uh 
check mark go listen to Boosh Exnator's uh podcast again if even if you listened to it before. So uh great. I think you know I, I love your talk your points there about one-on-one coaching. You know, that's why I talk about the the official side of coaching education, you know, getting the certifications. And I think those are important. I was a, a certification uh junkie, you know, I went after all the level twos, things like that. Uh, but as important, another slate to coaching education is those mentorships, those one-on-ones, those asking the questions. I, I think being asked those questions is an important part of your own uh, coaching education because then you have to verbalize some things that maybe you just have in your head or on your paper as you're doing workouts. Sometimes it helps us to understand them and and uh, uh, evolve them to speak it out to someone and be like, well, yeah, wait a minute, that does I said that out loud, but that doesn't make sense. And I don't necessarily believe that. Here's what I'm actually trying to accomplish with this type of workout during this time of year. So I think both sides of it is, uh, is highly critical to your development as a, as a track and field coach. So I love that. That's a, a big point for you. Yeah. And, and I like to piggyback on that just for a second, but Paul Zaleski is that sounding board for me because um, he was the multi-coach here before he got the Virginia tech job. So when we had an opportunity to um, coach here together, he always asked me why. And I thought he was being a jerk. You know, um, because my why was because Coach Carson did it that way. You know, I was Mm -hmm. literally uh, just doing what he did for me. Uh, However, there were things that could have been touched in different ways that Paul was more power. Uh, uh, Coach Carson was uh, Clyde Hart, you know, junior, if if not senior. I mean, just there was there was so much uh, similarity between the two. It was almost like, you know, well, I know Coach Carson got his from from Clyde. So I would say Clyde Hart Jr. But uh, Paul, whenever I'm on the cliff, because I'm just so creative, I call Paul and he always after I talk, he goes, well, why? Hmm. And sometimes I don't have an answer. And he's like, if you don't know why, don't do it. You know, and and uh, or before you do it, make sure you know why, because sometimes you have a feeling that it'll work, but you you don't want to you don't want to guess when you're talking about uh, preparing someone. But do you find yourself, though, you know, I'm thinking about your music background and specifically with, you know, rap and poetry and those kind of things. You know, That's a very free flowing. You don't have a why, why you rhyme this word with that, why you bring this subject matter in. Do you find yourself this is kind of this is me connecting dots that may not even be there. Do you find yourself as you're looking at workouts and looking at an athlete, you know, every athlete's different. They may have the same PRs. They come to you in different people and different places in their development. Do you ever find yourself that you're obviously a creative person? So does that creativity, do you find yourself like, well, well, let's try this. Let's try that. Do you, do you have to sometimes, and you you kind of maybe described it there governing yourself like, Oh, let me call call Paul. And am I out of bounds here a little bit? Is that part of your coaching uh, style? It's very much so. So um, I go off their body language sometimes. So when we see their warm up, Sometimes when they come in the gate, I can already tell before they begin to warm up what kind of day we're in for. But uh, when they're warming up and, you know, they're real chatty and they're bouncing around and they're cracking jokes on each other and people punching each other in the arm. And um, I know we're about to have an exceptional day. But sometimes there's something that I need to touch that week that they might not necessarily be able to do that. So I try to find different creative ways to get the postures and the pop and uh, the precision that we're looking for. I'm a big alliteration freak. So if I, if I start throwing, you know, if I start, 
you know, using the same letter. It's just who I am. But there are times where, you know, maybe I need to put a bungee on them to, to wake them up a little bit, or maybe I need to do a, a depth jump, but from a lower height just to get a certain response. And sometimes I find myself being real creative within that. And I have to be careful because there still has to be a progression. So you can't just all of a sudden say, hey, you know, I'm going to do this when it might work, but it just might be a little bit too, it's okay if it's a micro dose sometimes just to inject it. But if you give them too big of a dose of something, all of a sudden it might throw off the progression. And now all of a sudden you run really hot in the middle of a cycle, but it doesn't pop when it needs to pop. It's got to pop at conference. It's got to pop at regionals. It gotta, it's got to pop at nationals if you're fortunate enough to make it. Um, but it, it's got to matter when it matters. You know, if you know an athlete isn't going to regionals, then, uh, you know, don't get so creative um, that they pop in the middle of the season and they have a, a horrible conference. Because if conference is when they should peak, um, let's make sure they go out with a good taste in their mm -hmm. mind. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's go back to music. We talked about some uh, of the guys and gals that we listened to back then. Uh, we've had a great discussion, you know, sharing your testimony and what faith means to you as well. What does music look like for you now in today's world? Um, I still do it organically in that it's an escape. It's probably the only time that I'm not thinking about track. Hmm. I cannot turn it off. I've always got, you know, you know, Royal Burris and Alicia Muzan and Makai Jarrett and Rosalind Hollingsworth and pictures of them running in my head. Just those are the athletes, some of the athletes that are on the team right now, but I cannot turn that off. Hmm. Um, but if I turn on an instrumental, um, I get to escape and I think about, you know, how does this feel? Um, I like to go for walks and play instrumentals. Uh, I'll pray while I'm uh, listening to the instrumental really softly. And then somewhere within that fellowship, after I come out, then I start walking, freestyling and kind of texting things that pop out within the freestyle that are pretty cool. Um, and then they kind of grow into songs. Um, sometimes they just uh, uh, just snowball into a song right there. Maybe it'll come up with a, a hook, um, but I'm always uh, creating. Um, so I've got a, a phone, uh, the memory of my phone, quite a bit of it is, is holding on <laughs> to songs that I've yet to record. Um, but I'm always creating. I've got I've got songs on deck. I could I could stop coaching right now and I could record until the rapture and I'd probably have something <laughs> to <laughs> I'd have something to offer. But um, there's songs that are already in my archive that are uh, currently um, things that I'm using as backdrops for um, some of the social media that we do with the team. There's songs that are on deck that I'm waiting for. Uh, I don't necessarily say waiting for, I made them and there'll be a time for those songs. But while I grow in the profession of uh, even um, uh, what, what we have uh, and you and me and your relationship that I guess you'll talk about later, but I'm always making stuff for stuff. I just never know when that opportunity is going to come or if mm -hmm. it's going to come. Mm -hmm. So I've just got an archive that's just waiting for a, Hey, you know, does this person need an intro? Guess what? I probably have one because mm -hmm. I like to write about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, hey, you know, Nike might need a commercial. Guess what? I've got one. <laughs> just, uh, so always um, be prepared. I love it. <laughs> it's not even that I'm necessarily trying. To, I don't, I don't yeah. know what God's going to do, Mike. I just know right. that it says, 
you know, to be prepared. So I've got a lot of songs. I've got some stuff that I can use for fun right now. And I've got some stuff. If I get a opportunity, um, I'm going to have something for it. So um, I kind of meandered through that. Let me just be real specific. I've got music that is for track and field. I've got music that's for my faith walk. I've got music that's uh, kind of for uh, other sport like football, basketball. Um, I've got songs that could serve as a backdrop for the walk of excellence in those areas. And um, I would love to be on the playlist of what gives that community enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. I would like to encourage people that are in sport because I know that it's very intimate. I know that it's very uh, a competitive environment and I would like to serve as maybe an assistance um, to what it takes to make that engine move. Um, so um, I'm trying uh, to get my foot in the door. So I've got a manager. Um, they kind of like uh, what they've heard thus far and they're looking for opportunities to distribute. Um, but right now, what I only have is, I guess I've got the outro to Athletics LLC. Um, I've got, um, I did make one for Track Chat with Mont Johnson, mm -hmm. uh, Kyle Stevenson, Hassan Stamps, and David Pickett. I have one for them, but they've yet to use it, but they really like it. Um, I don't know. Like, we'll see. I've, I've got some stuff. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, in, in the track world, track coaching world, it's a, um, I don't know if badge of honor is the right word, but you know, we, we uh, quote unquote steal from this coach and that coach and that coach and this level one and this conversation to create our, our, our playbook. But in, in rap, that, that would be frowned upon, right? Like if you, you know, from my social media, you know, I like to, it's, it's a little bit of an accountability for me is why I post a picture every day that I work out. It's, it's, it's kind of like an accountability. Like, see, I worked out to my, to those people who follow me, I'm showing you, I'm working out. Uh, and what I started doing was, yeah, I'd listen to, I have my own playlist on Pandora. I don't know if that's cool. I think everybody uses Spotify, but I still use Pandora for some reason. And, uh, you know, you can curate the little channel or whatever. So mine's called, uh, because you can name your own channel. It's Jesus is a rapper, <laughs> uh, but it's also Jesus is a rapper with a little ice because vanilla ice is also in there, but it's all full of KB Bizzle. You, you know, all the people that are in my playlist. Cause you, you, you're, you're the best at picking out the lyric and naming the artist. Um, uh, KJ52, Ivan B, etc. Uh, but I like, you know, when I'm listening, there'll be a lyric that just just stands out for whatever reason. It could be because it was funny and catchy. It could be because it it hit on something that's happening at the house or professionally. Uh, just something will hit me. And so I keep a, a notes in my phone of all these lyrics, and then I add them to my photo when I when I go to work out. Uh, but if you were to do that in your song in your rap like take a, a, another person's like that would be like oh look Udon's fake like he's stealing rhymes oh. from other people how do you because because these lines these hooks get in your head at least for me my experience they get in my head and I'll you know I'll, I'll think of a line or a hook just walking down the street in an airport whatever it's just there and I don't even remember who the artist was you've got to like be careful I assume you have to be careful of like okay that's someone else's creativity I've got to create my own lines over here how do you keep that separate jumbled in your head well the intention of the song uh like most of the time it's fairly organic but you got to realize that my mind is always set on encouraging people and i think because that is my lane um and and to whom i'm speaking i don't know if anyone's really speaking to 
my community. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I get an opportunity to make track and field music, I don't think anybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I get an opportunity to make a uh, football music, there's probably a couple people doing it, but it's not out there enough to where I really, you know, worry about that. At the end of the day, the customer or the ear that I'm trying to touch, the heart that I'm trying to touch, I'm being very genuine in how I do so because I'm not doing it like anyone else. I'm doing it from what I perceive. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that I'm going to too often um, touch something the same way that someone else did. Mm -hmm. um, and I get it. There are other gospel rappers, but at the same at the same time, the word tells us that we overcome by the words of our testimony. So my testimony is my testimony. So if I'm honest with where I come from and, you know, what I believe I've garnered from it and what I believe you might be able to garner from it, uh, then just stay true to that. And I don't think that it's, you know, possible. Uh, I'm the only me. God's so awesome. He can make every single one of us different. And at the same time, have the same experiences, but still be different because it comes genuinely from what happens beneath my two feet. You can't stand where I'm standing, Mike. Like, only person that can stand right here is me. So I'm going to tell you what's happening right here. And how can that not be genuine as long as I talk about from where I'm at? Uh, well, I'm so grateful for some of the songs that you've shared with me. And I'm a huge Christian rap fan. I mean, that's 99% of all the music I listen. Well, maybe it's 95 because ever since my daughter made me watch Hamilton, uh -huh. the Hamilton soundtrack lives rent free in my <laughs> head. I'll, I'll, literally yesterday, I was walking to the bathroom and I just started singing one of the songs. I mean, it just, I can't stop. The, the, that was such an amazing uh, musical for me. It's the only musical I've ever watched and maybe ever will, but man, it it, it affected me. Uh, and the other two and a half percent is Vanilla Ice songs, because again, that's just my where I grew up. <laughs> so, um, so uh, exactly, you know, baby, you know it. So you, uh, so you know, so you and I have that uh, kind of that uh, that connection of uh, Christian rap. So uh, I don't know that everybody knows about Christian rap. I think, you know, people maybe know about rap and maybe they enjoy rap or other forms of music. Uh, so I was like, kind of like sharing, I don't know if it's called sharing the gospel or not with this, but I like sharing the, the genre. What is a, uh, a Christian rap song uh, or lyric or artist right now that you just, you, you got them on repeat. Like you just really right. like what they're doing. Is there anybody that stands out to you that maybe someone should go check out right now on their Spotify or YouTube? Uh, KB, um, KB, um, you can work out to it. And you can it's it's literally you can praise and worship because his heart for God doesn't get uh, sometimes people water down the art form um, to give God like traditional praise. But KB finds a way to just be as artistic, artistic as he possibly can be, as you could possibly imagine. It's just, you know, his articulation is just amazing. Um, his cadence is amazing, mm -hmm. but he never waters down the gospel. He never waters down his testimony. He never waters down his mission, his ministry, and you can just feel it. And if you if you love God and you love the opportunity of living uh, your life of service, he is a great soundtrack if you're going into something fiery. Oh, so man. I'm going to put you on the spot only because I, I kind of put it in my head on my three. What's your top three Christian rap songs right now? Oh wow! Uh, I know, I'm putting you on the spot only because I—I I, I totally was able, putting me on the spot. And I, here, while, you, 
No, no. While you're thinking about it, I'm going to do mine. Cause I was able to think of mine while you were talking. I was like, Oh wait, no, I got my three. So you, you yeah. think about them while I do my three. So my top three, if you haven't experienced Christian rap, I think you would enjoy these three songs. One is KB, uh, the artist KB. Uh, he, he nailed it with that. Uh, I'm going to just do it. It's funny, fun, awesome. I just, it's awesome. So KB, I'm going to just do it. Triple E has a song called Lazarus that I don't know if it's just the beats or how he does it, man, but that song and the subject matter and how he approaches it is awesome. And then a guy who's really kind of interesting, the more I, I really digest his lyrics, uh, is a guy named Bizzle. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he may be the most street rapper, Christian rapper that I know of, at least. Oh uh, but his song, uh, I, I don't know if it's hating or no hate, but it's if you just typed in hate into YouTube with Bizzle, B-I-Z-Z-L-E, uh, that would be like, it's just a cool song, man. I, you, and again, if you follow me on social media, I've done a lot of his lyrics, especially for that song, because it just it just means a lot to me. I just like the, the message. And then I'm going to add uh, an extra person, a guy that I just found uh, maybe a year, uh, it was probably about a year or two ago by accident on my Alexa. Uh, his name, it's NXT Mike. So I don't know how you would actually pronounce that if it's Next Mike or, uh, but NXT Mike, I, I, I heard uh, Alexa played this song called Illinois. So like Illinois, the state, Illinois, but Illinois, right? And uh, and so I put him into my Pandora. He's a Christian rap artist. And his, all of his stuff is just I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. It's fire. I love it. It's just amazing. So there's my top three songs. All right. I, I gave you enough time to think. Udon, if you had three songs to recommend to someone to, to listen to download right now, what you got? Um, KB, Let It Rain. Mm. Um, yeah, there's just uh, put, you know, fire on the back. I mean, your, your neck will catch on fire. Love it. The chorus. Now, this one is amazing. not one that you can download, but it is the song that... Um, uh, he calls himself the truth, but lately under his new album, he decided to reintroduce himself on, under his uh, namesake, uh, Emmanuel Lambert. Um, mm. But you can look him up as the truth, D-A-T, duh, oh, instead of the, the yeah, truth. It's like D-dot-A-dot-T. Yeah, yeah, okay, I've heard of the truth, right. Mm -hmm. he's, he's rapping now under Emmanuel Lambert, his real name. He's got a brand new album that's out, but this you can't download the song, but I just have to pay homage to this, but He's got this lyric on the intro. I forget the name of the album, but he goes, um, now this is what got me into wanting to be a, a gospel rapper, but he goes, either this life is meaningless or its meaning is a series of events that only satisfy for the moment. But once your moment's the past, your moment is past. Then poof, you can't revive it or hold it. You're boring yourself till you die when you're older, but there's a loophole. I wouldn't lie to my soldiers. Order my sisters. God is my witness. Jesus Christ is the only escape from out of this prison. So I can't remember the name of the album, but I remember the first time I heard that was the first time I heard gospel rap. And I committed that verse to memory. <laughs> wow. um, and uh, so I just his whole ministry, any song, look it up, the truth. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. And then uh, just Lecrae. Um, I'm not going to say a song. Um, what? because I, I just think it does uh, uh, injustice to his whole portfolio. But Lecrae is probably um, the granddaddy of making it popular. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And at the same time, it's still being ministry. So, uh, but you, you know, you have to say, um, you have to say Bizzle. Mm -hmm. If <laughs> Bizzle's just so right down the lane of, uh, if you're not careful from afar, you listen to it and you'll come up on it and think it's secular. But then you get up there and all of a sudden he's unapologetically Christian. 
and unapologetically man. <laughs> uh, unapologetic. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. Oh, he will hit you right between the the, the eyes uh, with the truth. Um, so I, I just, I would say I would urge you to follow the truth, Bizzle, Lecrae, mm-hmm. KB, and there's yeah. others, but you know, those four follow them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what amazing is you, you named four and we could keep going, right? Andy Minio, uh, KJ52, I, I love yeah. him. Um, yeah. Ivan B is a guy I found, he was a, uh, or is a, um, a Mormon. Uh, so he's out of Utah. And um, I can't remember, he just, you know, it was one of those tracks they just threw in my my mix. And I was like, I was like, I, I still remember I was in the gym and I was like, who is, like, I haven't heard this guy. He's, he's good. There's so many great, great people making, re- and we, we, we could, there's 10, 20,000 more. We haven't even uh, hit on that are just so, so good. So uh, I, opened well, up for, I opened up for Lecrae. Did you really? Oh man. You know, I'm going to call you out a little bit. You talked about Lecrae and rightfully so, but uh, you know, his new album dropped and I asked you, I was like, Hey man, cause I just listened to it. again, I was in the gym and I just listened to it and I was like, Hey man, this was awesome. It was great. And you were like, yeah, I don't know the auto tune, man. You, you were kind of calling Lecrae out a little bit. So um, Lecrae, one thing he's always going to do is because he's witnessing, he sees where the souls are. And so within the genre, whatever is hot mm. style wise, he's going to lean in that direction because that's who he's sent to. You know, if that's, uh, if, if he sees where there are people struggling, he's going to make music that is in that area that creates conversation because then he's going to come on the back end of it. And there's going to be um, an opportunity to discuss where are you with God? Hmm. Um, so a lot of times his music is just, uh, conversational and at the same time he doesn't want to be put in the box of right. just christian rapper because right. some people get on the soapbox and the last thing you want to be as a christian is unapproachable mm-hmm. the last thing you want to be is like you said judging like it's my job's not to judge you know my job is to be a shoulder to lean on my job is to be someone that you can sharpen your steel with um i'm supposed to be approachable i'm supposed to I'm supposed to plant the seed. I'm God's supposed to provide the increase. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to come along and, you know, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. I'm supposed to be a brother, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what Lecrae's being. And some people that want him to like, and I remember when I was really trying to grow in Christ, um, ambassador and, you know, cross movement and Lecrae uh, were really, really speaking to my soul at a time where I was less hungry for the word and just stayed in the Bible reading 24 seven. So because there was such a a parallel to the gospel, I gravitated toward them. Now I still have that passion, but now I see that their topics are more, more so, or Lecrae's topics are more so in the area where people might not even found Christ yet. Um, You know, who am I to, to judge him uh, because it's not as meaty. That's just not what his calling is right now. Right. I feel like we're missing someone. <laughs> like I'm trying to think. We, you know, we mentioned tri- uh, Triple E, KB, Lecrae. I'm glad you made him. I feel like we're there's I'll just go to my like, playlist. If we go to, uh, our- I know. I'm just thinking. Oh. Like I feel like there's a couple other big uh, artists that we just didn't mention for people to to explore. Right now, I got so much gospel in the front of it. Uh, Tadashi, uh, Tadashi, uh, Social Club Misfits. Oh yeah, uh, right. Toby and Wigway. Toby, of course. Uh, let's see, Mouthpiece. Um, show Baraka. Ah, yes. Oh, who who's the guy that uh, is it? Swoop. Um, Swoop. Swoop. What's that song he did that I love? Oh my god, I had that on repeat. He's rapid fire. He can really, really. Oh man. Uh, oh my gosh. What is the name of that song? 
I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes or something. Because uh, I'm, I'm terrible with names of songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you why is because a lot of times I hear what they're saying and immediately I think of if I'm on the album, how would I articulate that topic? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'm thinking like, what would if if I had the privilege of being on a mixtape? I guess I show my age. I said mixtape. <laughs> think it's tapes anymore. But uh, if I had a chance to collab. Like, what would I say if I was on this album? I would love to be on that album with any one of those guys. I think the name of the song is Grind. Uh, I've been grinding all day and all night. Yeah, Hall I don't think that, Maybe it's I Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't think I have Swoop on my playlist. Oh, today. man. I, I think it's Hall yeah. of Fame. That, that It's the name of the song. It's just, it's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, let's talk about another song, Udon. You mentioned, uh, you know, if you listen to the Athletics LLC Friday nights on YouTube, whenever Marissa Chu gets it, uploaded correctly and on time uh and then we rerun it about two weeks later the audio version here on the gill connections podcast i'm so again thankful for that group and not only what they do but allowing us to uh to have the audio version to to reach an even wider audience because they deserve it and the topics they talk about deserve it as well um but you do the intro for that so if you've listened to athletics lc and you have that 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 little ditty at the front well that's that's you don he did that um and now uh we're kind of unveiling no one knows this actually until right now Uh, well i guess you and i know this there's no secret right here uh but since season since, since we started this back in 2020 for season one i've always wanted some kind of some some kind of intro that would be appropriate but i also i believe in authenticity authenticity so much that i wanted to be something with track so uh we did you know i would do the intro for for quite a while and then i had our director of fulfillment our customer service manager jennifer so back in season three you had a uh, a young lady doing the intro there well she was a several time all-american and school record holder at Indiana University in the throws. So I love her connection to track. So I had her doing the intro for a while. And then it just, you know, and it was completely unfair of me. <laughs> you know, this says so much about you and your character and your love and servant uh, leadership attitude. You know, I loved the, 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 the intro for Athletics LC. And I was like, man, if we could have something like that for the Gill Connections, like, I don't know, I don't know, or necessarily even care if anybody else would love it, but I would love it because it's, it would be about track. It would be, you know, kind of hip hop which is, you know, my, my genre that I choose. And so I reached out to you, Udon, and I still remember, I was like, hey, look, I have zero, I, I shouldn't be asking you this at all, because I can give you nothing. We, we you know, we, we spend our money on saving money, so we don't have to charge so much for equipment. It's expensive enough. Uh, so we don't put, you know, marketing dollars into this thing. Uh, that's why you've never seen an ad for the Kill Connections podcast, et cetera. Uh, and I was just like, hey, Udon, if you would ever consider writing an intro for us like i i mean i can give you my thanks and my undying love and that's about what i can offer and you did it man so that song that you hear when you press play uh starting from season four until until he tells me to take it down uh is from udon you created that man and i'm just uh i'm just so thankful i I mean this is one of the reasons why i wanted to save you for episode 200 i wanted to uplift and honor you not only what you do on the track and for these young people but the selflessness that you show is i mean it's it's measured <laughs> it's immeasurable and it's measured it's it's proof and concrete i'm so thankful for uh you doing the intro for us uh here at the gill connections podcast thank you man this is kind of my public way i've been able, i've done it privately now i get to do it publicly and just say thank you so much for for making this show better thank you well uh it was a privilege to do it because the show um 
it's it's near and dear to so many. Uh, we might not see, uh, you know, we don't have time to like everything that you post, but uh, wait, wait. You, are you saying I post too much? That's kind of what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's a great thing because again, uh, we're so busy, and I know I'm not the only person uh, that appreciates the footprint that you're that you're allowing us to make. Just constantly, um, you know, showing that we are appreciated. You know, um, and, and I get it. There's we we get that. As long as people are PRing, <laughs> get plenty of appreciation. But I'm just saying, I'm joking, but the long hours that we put into this thing, you know it from firsthand, you've done it. And to give that a voice, because sometimes we don't have enough time to say it, um, and it might not matter to everybody else, but it matters in our circle um, that that is out there. Um, we appreciate you for appreciating us. So if you recall, um, I saw that you started uh, you know, putting out lyrics of, of other gospel rappers. And because I saw that was your genre, I don't know if you knew how much, uh, well, I, you didn't know until now, but I appreciate you for what you were doing for us. That's why I started sending, sending you my music mm -hmm. was not to, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to ask me to do an intro. I just saw that you were feeding yourself before you fed us. And I was like, you know what? He's feeding us. I'm going to make sure I play in a seat right there mm. because I have a heart for the same thing that he has a heart for. Mind you, just like I stated before, the reason I think that people give me access to what they do is because I appreciate them first. I don't just bust up on people and say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? You know, so that's what you do for us. You know, you show us love. So I just wanted to show love back and well, glory to God, you gave me opportunity to do an uh, intro for you. And, uh, you did pay me and you pay me every time you put a post up. So thank you very much. You're 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 too you're too humble. I don't know if that's a, a real thing, but man, I'm just so grateful. Um, the feedback has been awesome. I mean, it, it adds to the show. I mean, the, the star of the show is always going to be you, the guest uh, that's on for that week. Um, but to be able to kind of give it the professionalism that these coaches like yourself deserve, that, that's what means the most to me. It's like I, I like uplifting and making the podcast better because it makes the presentation for the guest better. Like I, I look at some of our first, you know, our first 30, 40, 50 interviews when, you know, we were doing it on the phone. That's I used to record through the phone for our podcast host. And then I would do it straight through zoom on my laptop. And then we started investing a little bit into microphones and stuff like that to make the sound better for, for the listener, but it's all to give a better presentation for, for the guests because you deserve it. I mean, what you do on a daily basis is uh, it's immeasurable, uh, the positivity that you affect on young people. And I've said it again, I said it before, and I'll say it again, I'll do it quicker this time. You know, it means very little to me how many, you talked about PRs. It, it means very little to me how many PRs, how many championships, school records that you set. I think they're extremely important. And if you follow me on social, you know how important it is. I try to uh, lift up everybody who sets a PR and sets a school record. Cause it is amazing. It's it, the human body did something it's never done before. That's amazing. That's just stinking awesome. Right. But I care very little about that. That does not reflect what I think about you, the person. I care more about how many kids are you bringing to your team? Cause that means you're affecting more people. How many kids are going on to be great moms and dads and store clerks and business owners and doctors and uh, sales professionals, et cetera. Cause I know what those coaches that coached me and, and I got to work on their staffs, what they poured into me. That is what means the absolute world to me. So you're doing that song, you doing that song helped elevate the podcast in my opinion, which means it's just another direct reflection of elevating the guest, the coach that's on there, man. So I'm just so, so grateful. Um, 
I'm so proud that this is episode number 200. It was a big deal for me to have a big deal uh, topic and, and uh, guest. And that's why I wanted to have you uh, specifically for, for this episode. I didn't want to wait till number 300 or 400. I was like, let's just do it right now. 200. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. Well, you don't to um, round us out today. You're, you're a giver. Uh, so this is, this is pretty special. Uh, I think this is really, really cool. Uh don's given again. So we actually, is this the world premiere that we're doing? No one's ever heard this. No one's, no one's heard this version of it. This is a song that was in my archives uh, for um, quite some time. However, there was a testimonial in it that uh, made it uh, a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, my manager wanted me to redo it because he's presenting it um, for um, opportunities to uh, to serve this body um, uh, that that um, you know I've got stewardship over. Um, so um, at least I, t- I take it as such. I would like to be the theme music behind uh, the pursuits in this in this sport. Uh, there's a young there's a, a gentleman who uh, likes the sincerity of that. So he's given me an opportunity to distribute music uh, through what we're we're now in search of uh, distribution uh, for this song and other songs to come um, that are specifically for um, encouraging this. That, that's how they're promoting me as such. They'd like to promote me as um, a track coach that has a heart for young people that's uh, giving sincere messages about um, how to carry themselves in this sport. So here in a minute, you're going to hear the world premiere. No one's, uh, no one in public has heard this song. I should say plenty of people have heard it, his circle. And uh, I was blessed that you shared it with me. The song is called Don't Give Up. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about the song because people are going to listen to it, but then they're going to want to come back and actually hear, well, wait a minute, what's behind this song? Tell us about the inspiration for the lyrics. I love the hook, you know, don't give up, don't give up. I mean, I just love the way it flows. Tell us a little bit how you created this song specifically. Um, there's always, um, athletes that almost make it. And the reason they don't make it is they don't feel that they're able, um, they get really close. Like they might make it to, they might be that ninth place finisher and, you know, they want to score for their team. They might be fourth place, but they just missed the podium. They, uh, end up being 13, um, on the list when top 12 get out of the region, um, that testimony um, just reeks of, they, they just want it so bad, but sometimes in hindsight, when they go back and look at it, they realize that maybe they didn't believe in themselves the way they ought. Well, that's what um, this song is about. It's, it's you finally embrace that you are the underdog, but you know what? I can do this. I'm not about to turn my back on this opportunity. I will not give up on myself this time. So it's kind of like theme music before your warm up, but it's just kind of rewarding yourself with your pool. Like, you know what? I could do this. You I know? love the, uh, I don't know the terminologies real well. So whether it's the hook or the core, those aren't the same thing, right? The hook and the chorus, that's two different. Oh uh, yeah, they are. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Uh, tells you how experienced I am. Uh, but the, the course that I, I wrote down for a future <laughs> workout quote here is uh, after everything I've been through, I'm still here. And all I hear is I won't give up like that to me, you know, there's some amazing lyrics throughout the entire song. But when I heard that kind of repeated with that, with the, that background of don't give up, don't give up. It was like, Oh man, all I hear is still don't give up. So whether I'm, I'm down in the dirt, I've been beaten. Don't give up. If I'm on the mountain, 
don't yeah. give up. I mean, it's it's all in between. Did you have, and you might not necessarily want to name names here, but was there a person, whether it was an athlete, a family member, a friend, was there like an inspiration as you're writing this, you're like, man, this person, I wish they wouldn't have given up or uh, man, they showed me what it meant to not give up. Um, Aisha Goggins, uh, the 51-4 quarter miler for us, she had a child. Um, we got her to 51-9 her freshman year. She was going to be incredible. But uh, she had a child um, her sophomore year mm. and uh, didn't have support. She was a single mother and did not, um, you know, she did not take her foot off the gas as far as responsibility, but the challenge made her regress. Um, so, you know, she started running 55 and 54 and she was no longer um, who it looked like she was going to be in the eyes of so many. And she wanted to uh, quit. She came to my wife and she said, I want to quit, but your husband will not let me. And you're darn right. Like now you surely need your degree. <laughs> but um, that person in particular, um, it came not from that moment of, uh, you know, it, it was during that time where she was a single mom and she wanted to, but I didn't know she wanted to. Um, it was coming from that. She never voiced to me, but I was trying to encourage her there because I wanted her to, to, you know, not give up because I could tell that she was starting to feel the sting of no longer being the Beyonce of that, uh, of that, uh, that group because they ran 334 um, afterwards, after she had the, the child. So like they, there's no telling what they would have ran if she never had the baby. Oh my gosh. Cause she was, she was the, uh, you know, she ran 51, nine her freshman year, but then the next year after she, you know, they, the other girls started running 52s and, uh, 52 high and 53 low on the relay, but then she was no longer, you know, but it was, it was for her. It was for, from, from that knowing that she was hurting and I just wanted to encourage her. I love that. Has she heard the song? Oh yeah, everybody's heard that that oh, okay, version. Good. That was, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so that song was in my archive, and then all my friends have been telling me, like, what are you doing? Like, you make great music. Why are you just putting it up on YouTube here and there? And why isn't this music out? How come I have to ask you, you know, can I get a free download? Will you please, you know, put it on some type of platform so I can purchase it? And I don't know, Mike. I just like doing it. I don't know. I, guess it's time to get paid for it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It has value. hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you Don, man, thank you so much. Uh, not just, you know, I, I'll never stop telling you, thank you for the, the song for the podcast, man. It means a lot to me, but thank you for your giftings, not only musically, which, you know, I, I could talk rap all day. I mean, I, was, I don't know why, but it was it, I, my very first tape and you, you probably, you might, yeah, I know you're a little bit older than me. So, but, but tape, I was back in the cassette tape was, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this one. The very first tape I ever bought my, that was my own was um, the fat boys. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, man. Yeah, crush him baby yeah yeah the second one the second one was beastie boys i almost had this thing with groups with boys in the name i don't know but um but even up till today i mean i went through uh i like other music as well but it's always been rap for me so uh so i can always appreciate having the conversation and you know guys like Kaba and lamont vaughn boy they will talk now that's that's some historians for for music and good music randy as well. gillen 
Not Randy, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man, they love that stuff. Watered down, yeah. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, so I could talk about that all day, but I'm so um, incredibly thankful for those gifts, but also uh, the gifts of uh, of the real reason why you're on the podcast, coaching track and field, and you know the young people that you touch. Uh, I love that your story is a majority at ECU from undergrad and uh, through now as an assistant coach. Um, you know, small phase of, of going to Brooklyn and working in the pharmaceutical factory. Uh, but I love that your story is, you know, a place that helped mold you and, and uh, help you become the person you are today that you are now doing that for today's generations of Udon Cheeks and, you know, things like that. I just, I love that. I love that commitment. I love that loyalty. And I love that giving back uh, that you give that university uh, on a daily basis, not only coaching track and field, but I know you do other things there at the university as well, man. So just so grateful for you and so grateful for your time today here on the podcast as well. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. Well, if you are watching on YouTube, you're not going to get to hear this world premiere because he don't have a video yet. It's coming. I just know it. This thing's going to blow up. So if you're on YouTube, you've got to go to podcast or you can, you know, if you're watching on YouTube on, uh, on your desktop or something, you can listen to the podcast on that as well. Just Google Udon Cheek, Gil Connections podcast, and it'll bring up a, 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 a what they call a window player, media player right there for you. Uh, and just skip to the uh, near the end. You'll hear the song. If you're on your podcast app right now, uh, you're going to hear it. This is the world premiere of Don't Give Up by my man, the best guy. I mean, come on. We need more track coaching rappers out there or rapping track coaches. We, we need all and more of them. Here's the world premiere of this awesome song, Don't Give Up. Let the pinnacle speak. 
Whether I win or lose, refuse to let ignorance speak Whether if I win or not, I feel like I'm on the top It's not the trophy, it's just knowing that I got a shot After everything I've been through, I'm still here and all I hear is Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up And after everything I've been through, I'm still here and I won't fear I Every battle we lose There's a story in every battle Battlers choose And when it's told We'll get to know What should battlers do But it's a soul That tells a soldier To battle it through Unless the whole reflects The whole will miss out On the truth We'll miss the moment If it only empowers a few Unless the seconds Till the minutes And hours to move The second hand Will get the dance When the hours renewed I always dream Of meeting destiny How do you do My second question Would be destiny How did I do I used to be so pressed To impress Now that's not even cool now I feel so blessed and oppressed, such a powerful tool Without it, I would never know what my power could do I used to run from it, but now it's what I'm running to Unless I spread my wings, how can I cry? I never flew With every breath in me, I promise to try till I do After everything I've been through, I'm still here and all I hear is Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up And after everything I've been through, I'm still here and Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You've got this.